0: What do you think? Somebody who's got such a high position, a son or a daughter of God, can he or she still stumble? Of course. Is there a day in which a a believer doesn't stumble in some way? In Galatians chapter 6, we have some good advice for those of us who see that reality and want to help others and be helped by others. Galatians chapter 6, we looked at this last week a bit, but I want to explore it a little bit more with you this morning. It starts out with these words, Galatians one, brothers, it includes sisters, it's all of us, sons and daughters of God, we could put that in here, sons and daughters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, a slip-up, a failure, a snare of sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, because we're all imperfect. We're all flawed. We all have warts. Do more, uh, according to this text, than uh, we're called to do more than to simply help somebody and restore them, but we are to also bear their burdens. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. That's a shift from verse 1. It's going a bit beyond helping somebody that's overtaken in a fault, but it's going a little deeper. And it's being concerned about what's burdening them. And in so doing, you will be fulfilling the law of Christ, which is another way of saying the law of love, because Jesus commanded us to love. He showed us the way of love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment in the Old Testament is really loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. He said the whole Old Testament hangs on those two commandments. And so the law of Christ is the law of love. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill that law of love. And if we don't do that, if we say, well, I don't really want to get involved in my neighbor's problems, my friend's issues, uh, my Christian brother or sister's pains or problems, I'd rather just talk about them. I'd rather just kind of condescend to them. I'd just rather do whatever. See, that's human nature, right? And the Apostle Paul knew that. So under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, at verse 3, he says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We're not too good to help somebody. We're not, we're not too, too good to help somebody with a hang-up because maybe we don't have that hang-up. we got other hang-ups that they don't have. So we need to have this humility about us, according to this text. If we think we are something when we're nothing, we deceive ourselves. And we're to be busy about our own work, our own mission. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, be consumed with the work that he's called to do in life, his vocation as well as his service of, of God and his church. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. And then verse 6 is the one that we're debuting today. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word, the word of God, share all good things with the one who teaches. We're going to look at these verses as a unit today. And so I wanted to preface the message with that. Well, this past Wednesday, the founder of Playboy magazine left the land of the living. For six decades, Hugh Hefner taught millions of people to objectify women and feed their fantasies. He saw women as having roles to fill instead of souls. You know, people are souls. Jesus came to redeem souls. But humanity as a group, we sometimes treat each other as roles, role fillers or role players. And that was certainly, that's certainly true in the pornography industry. Women, by and large, are treated not as souls in need of fulfillment as a dignified human being made in the image of her creator, but really just as a role playing to be an object of somebody else's animalistic desires. Oh, we can't put all the pornography epidemic that we face today on Hugh Hefner, but he did open a great dam that has turned porn into the norm in our country. It's now perhaps the number one industry on the Internet, depending by what measurements you use. And yet some people would call him an American hero because of his business success. I I wouldn't call the degradation of women for six decades heroic. Peggy Drexler is an assistant professor of psychology at Cornell. She offered this comment on the legacy of Mr. Hefner. Quote, his legacy is full of evidence of the exploitation of women for professional gain. In creating Playboy and maintaining its brand over six decades, Hef championed a world in which women serve to delight and entertain men, where their bodies are objects, where modification to appeal to male senses often took precedence over comfort, she adds, he put women in a second-class role. That's putting it mildly, end of quote. You know, I personally hope that Hugh Hefner repented of his sins before he took his last breath. God's mercy is available to all of us, and all of us need it. We're all sinners. You and I need as much mercy as anyone else. And so, I don't want you to be reflecting on a, a man who's dead, It's not the sin of unbelievers or people who may be unbelievers even that we need to be most concerned about. It's with ourselves, isn't it? If we're going to be honest with what the Scriptures tell us. We need to look at the mirror within rather than the window outside of us and look at our neighbor. We're to look first at ourselves, first and foremost. Our Lord taught us that. He said, uh, before you take that speck, that little little item out of your brother's eye, he said, take the log out of your eye <laughs> so you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus was teaching us healthy introspection, self-evaluation. Let a man examine himself, the scripture says. See whether or not you're even in the faith. Wow, that's a pretty key thing, isn't it? Look at your own life and evaluate, am I a follower of Jesus? And if I am, what does that look like? Why do I claim to be that? By, by what to... By what test can that be proven to be true? Paul calls us to look at ourselves more than we look at anybody else. And so I encourage you to do that today. And as we do do that, though, we're going to see that people will stumble. We stumble. We have failures in our lives. Our fellow brother and sister has failures in his or her life, and that's where this beautiful text comes into view. We have instruction on what to do. We don't have to sit and say, oh, well, I'm just going to be defeated by sin all my life. There's no way I can get out of this bad habit. I'm always going to cower under this issue. Uh, no, we don't have to give up, but we do need the body. Look at Galatians 6.1 again. It's in the plural. Brothers, so it includes the whole family of God. If anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone is caught, and it's not the idea of a heavy-handed, real strong, uh, bent towards a sinful action. It's the idea of being caught and snared. Somebody's caught Somebody's been snared, and they're caught in a habit. And Paul says that the the, the redeeming thing to do for you as a fellow believer is is not to condescend to him or to her, but to reach out. Notice, if anyone is caught, you are spiritual, should restore him. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You know, that's our calling, to to live out a, a caregiving life. You know, your new life in Christ... I would believe today most of us in this room would say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus has given me new life. If you attest to that in your life, then I want to gently remind you today that your new life is meant to lead you to a new way of life. Right? It's not just know a bunch of facts about God. I'm a Christian and I know the Bible. No, you can be a good Christian without knowing a lot of the Bible, frankly. Most of us know more of the Bible than we've ever obeyed, huh? than we've ever begun to apply and so are we obeying what we know? Are we aspiring to walk with the Lord, to live the new way of life? And I urge us today to not lose sight of that. Christianity, said Chesterton, is, has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. You know, the world around you and me is waiting to see us live out what we say we believe. They're really looking for that. I've been really looking at my own heart lately. I've been trying to wrestle with with this. I've been evaluating myself, considering how well I'm reaching out to people around me with the hope of Christ. If I really believe I have the world's most hopeful message, the good news of Jesus, I'm asking myself lately some harder questions. What are my attitudes like towards people that may not have that relationship with Jesus? What's my attitude like towards people that seem to be very cool to the things of God? Can I show them? Can I meet them where they're at? Can I just be gentle with them? Can I be kind to them? Or am I going to be uptight and kind of a stuffed shirt kind of person because they act and feel and work differently than I do in life? So easy, isn't it, to become a little bit of a Pharisee? Scary, scary thing. We want to really be careful there, friends. Let's be honest with ourselves. If we're quick to just judge people's problems and their mistakes, or to condemn them, we're probably not acting like the people Jesus wants us to act like. I mean, I say probably. I'm saying that tongue in cheek. We're not, and we're basically confirming things to the world that some people believe about church—that you know we're hypocrites or we're Pharisees or you know we're very imperfect and you can find warts in any one of us. But hopefully, we're 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 beyond. A, I don't say that to beat us up, but I just want to challenge us today. Can we work through our issues? Can we help each other? And, of course, the Scripture calls us to do that. And how do you live that life that people see and say, you know, that's what a follower of Christ must look like. That's what a Christian does. That's how a Christian thinks. That's modeling something about what I think about Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you don't do it by pulling yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. Scripture repeatedly calls us to choose between spirit-led living and flesh-centered living. And I'll unpack that a little bit, but for many of you, I think you know, if you've been with us for the series, where we're going with that. Galatians chapter 5, if you turn back, talks about the deeds of the flesh, the things that come natural to us, envy, drunkenness, lust, all of these things that we don't have to try to, that we try to avoid, they just come up from within us at times, and that's the deeds of the flesh. We also see the fruit of the Spirit, which is the opposite of that. And if you look at two verses, just two verses in Galatians 5, 5 5.16, you see uh, in 5.25, you see how we are to respond to our our need to defeat that lower nature, those deeds of the flesh. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, "'But I say, walk by the Spirit, walk in His energy, walk in His strength.'" Feed the spiritual life within you through reading the word, through prayer, through fellowship. There's ways that you walk in the spirit. You, you build up the spirit within you, the Holy Spirit, and then you will not gratify the, desir- the desires of the flesh. In other words, you're not going to follow God in your own strength. You're not going to follow him very far. Your best intentions and mine are, are very limited. But in his strength, we can follow. In his spirit. It doesn't say, walk by your best intentions Walk by your good intentions, walk by your best efforts, walk, no, it says walk by the Spirit. Jump down to verse 25, it echoes verse 16. If we live by the Spirit, not live by by good intentions or by self-effort, but we live by His energy. We live with the strength that He gives to us. We live by the Spirit. We will keep in step with the Spirit, and we will avoid a lot of these problems that can choke our lives. And sin, as we said last week, has, has a lot of domino effects. It doesn't just affect us. So it's not that we never sin, but the less we sin, the better, because our sins never just affect us. They affect other people. And so we want to be wise to feed the life of the Spirit within us. Day by day, we will either submit to the Spirit's control, or we will submit to our unredeemed humanness. That's, that's another way of calling or defining what the Bible calls, quote, the flesh. It's not saying human bodies are evil. Don't think of the flesh when you read that in Scripture as your human body. But it's the unredeemed nature that lives within all of us. And every Christian still has the unredeemed part of him or her. And we got to fight that, but not just with our our intentions, but with God's help. And so we live by the Spirit. And if we're doing that, we're going to be able to bear one another's burdens. But your choice and my choice matters. The nature, you have two natures in a sense, and the one that you feed the most is the one that's going to prevail. Right now, you're hopefully feeding the spiritual nature part of your life. You're listening to God's word. You've been praising God through singing. Some of you are giving today. That's an act of worship. We're going to take communion together. That's feeding the spiritual life within you. And if your heart's right, if your heart's in that, if your heart's open to these things, the Holy Spirit is just increasing in your life. And and the deeds of the flesh are being pushed back. They're being pushed down. They're being pushed behind you because you're starving that. You're starving off the, the lower nature, and you're feeding God's holy nature within you. And that choice leads to fulfillment. Your fulfillment, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I would say that's pretty fulfilling to experience those things in increasing measures. But the second choice, to just live by our lower nature, to ignore this command to walk in the Spirit, is going to lead us to frustration. With one another, with, with, with ourselves. If you turn back to verse 15 in, in uh, chapter 5, you see what the Apostle Paul says. If we don't live by the Spirit, he says, we're going to bite and devour one another. And he says, watch out if you're doing that that you are not consumed by one another. That's why you hear occasionally about great church fights. Churches. There's actually a book by that title, Great Church Fights. I ordered it this week. I want to read it. Not because I'm planning on one here. (laughs) I want to learn what to avoid. But Christians can get into conflict easily. And conflict's not necessarily a bad thing. Disagreement's not a bad thing. But it's what do we do with it? How do we manage it? How do we manage disagreements and misunderstandings? If we're not walking by the Spirit, then we're walking by the flesh, and we are going to have conflict at a scale we don't want it, and we're going to hurt each other, and we're going to hurt the reputation of the church in the community, and we're going to give people a reason not to follow Jesus because they're going to say, man, if that's what, if that's, what that's about, I don't want it. So we need to be wise, don't we, about the fact that we're sinners, we're fallen sinners, we are the sons and the daughters of God in Christ, but we're fallen people, and to come back to chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to need to help each other out here. We're going to need one another in this thing, uh, this thing called following Jesus, this life of following Christ. We need the body of believers around us. Brothers, Galatians 6 1. If any of you are caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And it's really not if, but when. We all get caught. We all stumble, the Bible says, in many ways. We say something we shouldn't have said. We do something we really shouldn't have done that we didn't think through. We make mistakes. And what do we do with each other when that happens? What do you do with a brother or sister in Christ when you see them stumble? That's what this text is about. And if you were with us last week, you know that I ended with a basically a reference to a question from the Old Testament that Cain, an irresponsible man, young man named Cain, said about his brother Abel after he murdered him. God held him to account, and he said, "The the, the ground calls out, the blood in the ground of your brother calls out to me, where's your brother? And he says, Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer was yes. Instead, you were his murderer. In the New Testament, this passage, Galatians 6, 1 through 6, really raises the same question. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Don't ignore when somebody falls into a transgression or trouble, but go to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Get involved in one another's lives. That's what spirit-led living looks like. We are our brother's keeper. We need to make the choice towards spirit-led living versus flesh-centered living every day. As we do, we get enormous strength to serve one another to help one another, to care. We have the compassion of Jesus rather than just our own natural thoughts to not worry about our neighbor's troubles or frustrations or cares. I struggle with this as much as anybody. I see people coming sometime and I go, oh, I don't have time for that today. I don't want to deal with that today. And I, I do, I admit that. And there are times that I, I don't have time. And there are times that I just need to say, you know is that the right thing to do? Can I really care deeper than that? And so I'm looking at myself more than I'm looking at any of you here today. But let me just give you three short things. How to demonstrate love to fallen fellow believers. And, and keep in mind that that's all of us. None of us here could say, I never stumble. <laughs> if, you, if you, and I'm not suggesting anyone here thinks that, but if you do, I don't know, why did you come today? <laughs> you, have you arrived? <laughs> you don't have any more problems. No more mistakes. You don't have any room to grow. No. We all fall. We all need each to help uh, others pick us up and we need to help pick our brother up, our sister up. Responsibility number one from Galatians 6 is pick up. Pick up a fallen brother or sister. Pick them up. And that's, that's really the import of the verse. Brethren, if any man is caught, you restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. And the idea there of being caught, if you're looking with me at the verse... If anyone is caught, the idea there is the idea of falling. It's not the deliberate, planned aspect of sin that is stressed here, but rather the unwitting element. The weight weight of the words the Apostle Paul uses do not have in view doctrinal faults and errors, but much lesser faults by which a person is overtaken through the weakness of his flesh. Maybe a person is given to gossip or to slothfulness or to some other issue. And so Paul says, you see that? Don't just do what's natural, and that is condescend to it, or gossip about it, but look at your life. Evaluate your life in that same arena. Pray about it. Lord, do I have the same blindness, the same problem? Because I see it them. How come I see it that, that problem in that person's eyes or life? Sometimes it's because it's in our own life. And so we need to think that through before we go and correct them. And then we should go and say, you know, I, I'd like to encourage you. I see this as a growth area in your life. It's, a, it's been a growth area in my life, too, or I'm working on this other area. So you, you go gently, and you go, you go self-aware, self-aware. If anyone is caught, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we pick up, we engage one another. Fellow brothers and sisters who are caught in a trespass are not to be ignored. That's the easy thing to do, isn't it? I'll just ignore it. I'll just overlook it. But nor are they to be excused or destroyed. The goal here is talk to them if they've been overtaken in something and do it privately, do it in a spirit of gentleness. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15 through 17 how we are to go about this. If you're looking for a template from the scriptures, it's Matthew 18, 15 15 to 18 really. Look at those verses. Martin Luther said, if anyone is overtaken with a fault, we are not to aggravate his grief. We're not to scold him. We're not to condemn him, but lift him up gently to restore his faith. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what God does for us? He lifts us up when we, when we fall down. He forgives us again and again. He restores us, and we're to do that with one another. So pick up. That's your first calling here. Pick up. Pick up your brother's situation. Make, make note of it. Help him out. Pick it up. And then the second thing that you do after you pick up is you hold up. Look at the next two verses, which we're really reviewing because we looked at them last week. Bear one another's burdens. Don't just confront an issue and address an issue, but then enter into that person's life a bit. What burdens do they have that you can help with? When you look at verse 2, look at it with fresh eyes. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. I offer to you today, I submit to you, two assumptions from just that first verse bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Number one, first assumption, this isn't on your outline, everyone has burdens. First assumption. Not, there's not a one of us here doesn't have a burden. If you say, I don't have any burdens, huh, well, then you're having a good day, but you also might be in denial. <laughs> we all have burdens. Everyone has burdens. That's the first premise I make here. Secondly, second premise, no one is to carry his or her burden alone. You don't have to walk alone. Your neighbor shouldn't have to walk alone with his or her burden. Bear one another's burdens, it says. And it's assuming that everybody has them. And no one is to carry them alone. And when we accept that as truth and we're willing to enter in and bear one another's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Let us, friends, let's not think people don't deserve our help. Maybe they don't. But did you deserve God's mercy? in grace, in your life, every day that you've perceived it? You didn't. I don't. And so we can be wrong-headed. And in fact, that's what Paul is warning us against here in verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he or she won't get involved in somebody's life to help bear their burdens because they think, well, I'm too good for that, or that's not my problem, or I didn't create that problem. I don't want to deal with that problem. He says, we're really deceiving ourselves. It's pride that will limit us, that will keep us from helping people that need our help. So we're to, we're to hold up our friends, our neighbors, and then we're to build them up. If we jump down here to verse 6, that's the new verse that we're adding on to this week. It says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, Scripture is the authority in our lives. If, if it is the authority in our lives, and it should be. And we're using it to help a brother overtaken by a fault See, I don't ever want to come alongside somebody and say, I see this problem in your life, this is a challenge, but it's just my opinion. I hope I got Scripture to back me up if I'm going to ever, when I have those conversations with people. And that's, if I don't have Scripture, I, I probably shouldn't even go and talk to somebody about an issue. But if I've got Scripture, I go and I, that's the authority, not me. Scripture is the authority. And so then, once they receive it, if somebody's overtaken in a fault and they receive that Scripture, and I'm entering into his or her burdens and I'm lifting that person up, I'm sharing their life a little bit with them. Now I'm ready to build them up, to keep building them up. That's, you see the progression here in the verses? And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Now many commentators interpret verse 6 to be a statement about financial remuneration for those who teach God's word. Now that could be implied here, but I'm not going to go with, a, with a, the group of commentators that would suggest that's the best interpretation. Maybe it's a side interpretation. I want to interpret verse 6 in the context of Galatians 6 as a whole. Financial remuneration for ministers is spoken of explicitly elsewhere in Scripture. It's not mentioned here explicitly. And so we can make an implication, but I don't think we want to make that our explanation. Paul makes no mention of finances. John MacArthur, commenting on this, says the overall passage is about restoration of a brother or sister who has fallen. That's where verse 1 started out, right? In that context, verse 6 forms a summary of what we are to do when we have picked up and helped up. Then we're to build up, and we are to share with one another the good things the Lord is doing in our lives. Do you see that imagery of a person who's overtaken in some kind of a stubborn sin, and a caring brother or sister comes alongside and says, you know what, I've struggled with that. Or I know where there's some help for that, and I'm praying for you. And they're addressing the issue. And then they're starting to to pick that person up. And as that person starts to walk again and live in peace and freedom and victory, then those two individuals are now starting to really relish fellowship again together. Life's been restored. That's the picture here. And if you look closely at verse 6, it says, Share all good things. The word share is koine, the Greek word koine. And it's about sharing. It's not about payment. It's about sharing good things. That's what Christians do when they get together. You know, a whole bunch of people gathered here yesterday for that men's car clinic. Well, it was really a community car clinic, and a bunch of men led that thing. And I I couldn't be here, but I heard it was tremendous. And Matt Cummings was telling me uh, on Friday, I was helping him with just some final setup things that he was doing. He said, you know, I'm going to make a prediction. He said, the people, the men that are helping out people tomorrow, he said, I think that they're going to get more out of this than the people who are being served. (laughs) I said, I think that's true. There's more joy in giving and in helping, isn't there? There's a fellowship thing, and that's what Paul's talking about. When we're working as a community to do God's work together and he gets the glory, we have fellowship, and we rejoice in one another. And that's what Paul is referring to here in verse 6. It is so beautiful to enter into the burdens of other people. Matt was telling me on Friday afternoon when we were talking here that a woman called him who needed simply tires for her car. You know, and tires aren't cheap even if you go to Walmart. And if you know anything about Matt Cummings, he knows where to get cheap tires But they're good tires. He said, Oh, we'll put tires on your car for about 20 bucks each. She couldn't believe it. She cried. Every winter day, when she drives her car this winter, she's going to remember the kindness of people that put those tires on her car, that found a deal, put them on, got her going back on the road again. And we share joy in that. There's fellowship in that, and God gets the glory. That's what Paul's saying. When we interact with one another's lives in healthy, proper ways, we don't ignore each other's issues, problems. We love each other. We don't just condescend to each other's issues and problems. We do life together. We see people overtaken in something. We come alongside. We say, let me help you with that. And we, we pick them up. We enter, enter their life. And we, we carry them along a little bit. And we have fellowship together. And we move forward in faith together. Those are our responsibilities here. The basis of sharing good things, verse 6, with one another, is our mutual understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want to close this part and move us towards communion this morning with just a, a humble prayer. That, God, we would look to you with thanksgiving for what you've done. You've united perhaps most of us in this room to Jesus Christ, to your Son. We have a relationship, an eternal relationship with him. And our forgiveness is based on his kindness and mercy to us. And Lord God, your word is instructing us to move beyond receiving that, but to sharing with one another the good things that you're teaching us and that you're helping us live and learn with. We thank you for this body. I pray that you'd help us in these days before us, the days before your return, to live under the Spirit's guidance and to serve one another, with love, and to help each other through the ensnarements the that we all encounter, to help each other get up when we've fallen. Help us not to ignore where we can help. Help us to care. God, it's in your Son's precious name I pray. Amen. I'd like to invite those who are assisting with communion to